Are you ready for some nosy bitches? Because this is about to get explicit. Hey, bitches. Hey, friends. Hey, Carla. Michael. How you doing, girl? Good. I'm. It's. Welcome it, to summer. Uh, can I please stop raining every and day? And stop being a million degrees outside. I know. I'm literally living in a swamp land. You have these brief windows of time in the morning before it turns into Satan's ball sack. <laughs> it's, I actually said the other day, I was like, it's too hot to even get in the pool. I believe like, oh, wow. there's a time in the wintertime where it's too cold to sit by a, a fire outside or whatever, the like a bonfire. Is just yeah, too... I was like, it's just too cold. And I was like, there honestly have hit some temperatures recently where it is too hot to even get in the pool. It's like immediate sunburn. I just, so I, I find myself envious. So we had a pool at our old place. Now we don't have one. Now you've got one. And our other friend has one. And I'm just, I'm feeling the envy right now. We technically have a small pond out there that I could jump in. But I'm pretty sure I'd have to share that water with about 50,000 tadpoles. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not feeling that. Like, yeah. I just, that's I, not where I'm at in my journey. So I, I can understand that. I'm definitely a pool kind of person. <laughs> pool is good now. We're feeling good. I'm the most tan I've ever been in my life, which means I'm like slightly darker than Casper. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do have a nice like golden yeah, so too I'm, though. It's so not I'm like enjoy- red even. I'm enjoying some tan lines. So it's been nice. How have you been? Good. Last time we we did this, I would just gotten back from honeymoon mm-hmm. and all of that shenanigans. So as soon as after I got back, my grandpa passed away. We actually found out while we were on our honeymoon. So went up to Indiana for his service and saw some family, which was course good but also just really hard he was a rad dude i'm named after him oh i yeah. didn't know that yes Aww. my dad's middle name is michael and my grandfather's first name is michael and i don't know how far that goes back but that's a family name that's been passed down so i love family names i also had carla this was weird i was reading his obituary i had read it multiple times but was reading it anew when we sat down for the service because they had the little handout with that on there and it talks about the grandchildren. He had 10. And I'm the oldest grandchild. Really? I'm the oldest <laughs> grandchild. I just love that there are moments in life where you're the oldest oh and not the youngest. Because I... for everyone else, Michael is the youngest in our friend group. I lost my shit. But it was just weird. And then I was like, no, that's surely not true. And then I was like listing off all my cousins in my head. I'm like, no, I'm not all of them. (laughs) And I also am doing this thing in my, um, you know, the back half of my 30s where in my head I'm still like 29. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm now like seven years out from that. There's no mistaking it. Like that's not a, a math issue. That's just a Michael's brain being naive issue. I hate that that's a circumstance that you had to go home, but I'm glad that you got to go home. And it's always, I feel like stuff like that's always bittersweet. It is. We will be honoring him a little bit more. We have some plans yes. to honor Mike yeah. on the podcast, so you'll get to hear more about this. But he just, he lived until 77, number one, 
and this is not his first battle with cancer or some other things that probably should have gotten him much earlier in life. So there is a part of me that's like, even though he probably could have still had a lot of years considering kind of his track record, this was a good long life and he lived it really well. That's all we can ask for. I think most of us hope that we get out with some kind of legacy. Yeah. And I feel like all of those grandchildren, like 10 grandchildren, that's a lot. That's a big legacy to yeah. to leave. And so, I mean, and to have all of them like you, yeah, like you did something right. So, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I feel like bittersweet is going to be a theme tonight. I knew about this. We're not going to say the name yet, though. Okay, we're going to get that in. And I just didn't know how twisty, turny, at times, really messed up this story got toward the end. Like the start of it just feels very like, oh, of course, like this individual that has risen to fame is going through this. And then it just comes crashing and burning in some really messed up ways. And I think this story is like an asteroid, right? You have like a direct hit, but yeah. then there are like the ripples. There yes. are the things that happen afterwards. There are the people that are affected and people to this day who think about that person that's missing in their life. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to jump into this. Let's and do it. I, I promise the name will come up soon enough. But, like, I, I'm going to take us back just a little bit. First, Do it. If that's okay. Okay. So it's 1980. Neither of us are alive yet. So, yes. yes. <laughs> Sold. <laughs> so it's 1980. CNN, this is, like, the time frame we're talking about. You know, I like this context. CNN has only just started being a thing. Wow. Having had its very first broadcast on June 1st of 1980. Right? Isn't that crazy? Mm. Uh, a month before that. Mount St. Helens. This is the famous eruption that we all know about. So it erupted out in Washington State. And a month before that, so we're into April of 1980, this little up-and-coming company called 3M had just released these things called Post-it notes? Oh, have you, have yeah. you heard of these? <laughs> wow. <laughs> I okay. know. Post-it notes have been around longer than me. That's right. <laughs> and 3M really was a small company back then. Uh, but just to give us some context about where we were back then, um, also, for those that were alive then or were kids, so contextually, the Iran-Iraq war mm-hmm. was going on. Um, John Lennon was shot in 1980. Oh, okay. Right, from the Beatles. I didn't know that. Um, and it would also be the births of future celebrities, a la Lin-Manuel Miranda. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the the big playwright, Macaulay Culkin. Yep. And Jessica Simpson oh. were all born in 1980. Yeah. But our story begins in the small city of Lake Jackson, Texas. So at the time, they had maybe 20,000 people. So like definitely not a town, but like a very, very small city. Try to take yourself back there. You're sitting in some Tex-Mex food place. It's at a new joint that's called Papagayo's. You love the burritos there. You love the beer there. It's a good atmosphere. And it's run by this really cool guy named Abraham. And in the corner, there's a small stage area set up. And it's one of the reasons that you've come tonight. You love the music here almost as much as you love the food, right? And we we have a Mexican place like that in yeah. town, right? Like you can go see some live music. It's a very evocative thing. After finishing some appetizers, hopefully your first round of drinks, your dinner starts to arrive and you hear the ambient music of the restaurant start to die down. And you know that it's time. And a dark-haired little girl, no more than 10 years old, nine to be exact in this case, makes her way to the stage area. She's followed by her two older siblings, 
who are part of her band, and they play here all the time. And that little girl, you can tell. She's going to be someone someday. She just has that special something, that spark, that thing that makes you want to watch her. And that voice, this voice that comes out of this little nine-year-old, you can't believe it's something that big coming out of a small package. The band calls themselves Selena y los Dinos. And that Selena, she would indeed become someone. She would have everything that she ever could have dreamed for at her fingertips and for her family, by the way, too, and her fans. Those of us that know her story know she very much cared about that. She would first become an icon to Latina and Native American girls everywhere. But then she would really start to take the United States by storm. And not just the Spanish-speaking people in the United States, but also the English-speaking people in the United States. She had already been dubbed, at the young age of 23, the queen of Tejano music. And right as she was on the cusp of true global fame, her light and her life were taken from the world. And not by some scorned lover or some freak accident or something that maybe we would otherwise be able to wrap our heads around. In a really winding tale that ended up captivating the world over the next several years, we would find that Selena was murdered by one of her most adoring fans. Today we will do our telling of the murder of Selena Quintanilla Perez. But she, of course, only needs one name to be recognized, and that is Selena. Selena. Oh, I'm so excited and devastated to be doing this story. So I, I was telling Michael earlier, I loved Selena. Like, I mean, when her CD came out, obviously, have never spoke Spanish. I did speak Italian, but I never spoke Italian. I mean, never, close enough. Yeah, right? never spoke Spanish, um, but just absolutely loved and. I mean, I would just sing her song over and over and over again and really like visceral reaction. I think for like a movie star, me being young, the only other person who passed that I had like that feeling was was Lucy Ricardo. Like I just loved Selena. And I remember a couple of years ago, I think it was during COVID, they Netflix did a TV series for Selena And I was just enthralled watching it. And even though I knew that it was going to end the way that it ended, I was so captivated by her story and then like heartbroken, almost like when you read a book that's like sad and it took me hours to come down from that sadness. And then going down these black holes to figure out like what's happening with her family's life. It's such a heavy story because of the promise of what could have been like, and we'll of course get into all of this in just a few minutes, but like. There's this supremely talented young woman that, like, they come along once in a generation that seem to be born for the stage. I think our most modern version of that is, like, a Taylor Swift, Mm -hmm. someone that has experienced extreme fame for a, a, a long time, and somehow they still just seem weirdly grounded by it. There, There aren't very many people that are made for that. And it definitely feels like from everything that I've watched and read about her doing research for this, like she was one of those people. She never really changed. She had almost like a stage presence to her that was, her voice was good, but it was almost more important than her voice. She just had this thing that made her really relatable to a lot of people, I think. You know, it's funny that you say Taylor Swift, because I I was just saying the other day, I do think that there is some similarities between Taylor Swift and her. One is that they were child musicians. Yeah. And in this world... 
especially in the Hollywood industry and in the music industry, that can be a very scary ride to take. And and we've watched musicians and actresses and actors who've taken, who've really had a lot of bad things happen to them along that path. But like Taylor and I think like Selena too, she had a, she was grounded really heavily in her family. Yep. And so not to say that they never made any mistakes or, you know, and that they were perfect. Of course, you know, that's nobody, but very grounded and to be these, this really smart, talented businesswomen and really family orientated too in that regard. So that that's probably a, a good connection, honestly, to, to what she was back then and what she could have been had she gone on. Well, you think about even today, part of why this fascinated me, the era before Taylor Swift was like more the era that I grew up with. It was like a Britney, Christina, right. J-Lo kind of era, right? And I guess J-Lo is a little older than those two, but like really was popular around the same time. And I think that we forget that Selena was J-Lo before J-Lo was a thing. Right. Like she was that famous, that level of just saturation into society and into culture. And also because some comparisons get thrown out to Selena in the Latina community to like Gloria Estefan. Oh, yeah. And like... I can see. I, I see that. But like as far as her permeation into... United States pop culture, I think it was actually much closer to the meteoric rise of like a, a Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. Because like while Gloria Estefan sold some records, sold out some concerts, I truly feel like that's probably the level, especially when you're considered someone from the Latin community. Like it's it's at that J-Lo yeah. level or at that um, Shakira, Shakira I was just about that's to say, right. Selena walked so Shakira could run. That's right. There are very few musicians who really cross over she really wanted to create her own genre. Let me take us back. We yeah. started in 1980, first seeing Selena come onto the stage. But of course, the story starts a little bit before then, back in 1971. So I'll take us back there where Selena was born on April 16th to Abraham and Marcella Ophelia Quantania. Wow, that's a mouthful. Mm -hmm. mouthful. And if I didn't say that right, don't come at me. So glad this is your story. I know. <laughs> That exotic look that I think Selena is known for, that beautiful dark hair, the really interesting features that she would become known for are due to her mother's Cherokee lineage. So her mother was actually Native American and her father's Mexican background. And her love of music likely started before she was even born because Abraham himself uh, was a musician or at least formally was and all three of his children. So including Selena's other two siblings, would fall in love with their father's craft in their own way. Although some of that, I feel like, was a little bit pushed and prodded by Abraham. About Selena, Abraham, her father, would share in a later interview with People magazine that she was a natural at music from a very young age. By the age of six, she was able to sing on pitch and in rhythm to just about anything that she cared to sing. And Abraham would give her and her siblings plenty of time to practice, they often headlined at his first Tex-Mex restaurant. He would try a couple of different business ventures throughout his time, but this was his first one, this restaurant, Papagayo's, and liked having live music there, and it was a free venue for his very talented daughter and his two kids, one on guitar and one on drums, to help her out um, in some of those stage productions. 
Nice little family affair. Put those kids to work. Make them earn money for the rest Absolutely. of Absolutely. This is like one thing, by the way, like Thomas and I were talking about this couple friends of ours that are also a gay couple are getting ready to adopt and they've just been approved. Like it's happening fairly eminently. And there's a part of me that feels very like all of my best friends have kids. Like I've never had that experience. And at this point, I probably never will. But I'm telling you what, especially when I hear about some of this story and some of like the fi- kids, the financial distress that oh. you put on your parents. <laughs> they are so expensive. There is no benefit outside of their love and adoration. That's right. But even that comes at a cost. I tell you what. <laughs> so as good as the restaurant was and everything that I could find did say that the restaurant was good. It had oh, I'm good sure service, it was. Like all of that. It, like so many other businesses at the time, couldn't survive a recession that was brought on in the early 80s by the oil glut that was happening in the collapse of some of the oil markets. And it really hit a lot of towns in Texas specifically because it is such a big oil state. So that restaurant, Papagayos, would close its doors in 1981, just over a year after it had opened. And the family would be put in a pretty bad situation. They would file for bankruptcy and they were evicted from their home. Among other odds and ends jobs that Abraham would take, he also decided that Selena y los Dinos had something to them, that that was something that they needed to expand upon, needed to take it out on the road. Soon they would begin performing at weddings, festivals, fairs, birthday parties, quinceañeras, even street corners. So when they didn't have booked gigs, he would just be like, you're going to play right there. We're going to open up a guitar case. Listen, I don't know if Abraham is ava- available or not, but we might need him to manage us. I'm just saying. Like, to really say, like, okay, guys, get to work. It, You know, and something did work for it. Like, you get that kind of exposure. And, of course, I'm sure that's a, a slow climb at the beginning. But the popularity of the band began to grow and grow and grow. And remember, these are school-age kids. Now, Selena is the youngest of them. Um, but all of them are in school and trying to do this. And it, at this point, after they had filed for bankruptcy and after the family had been evicted, this became one of the primary sources of the family's income. Oh, I believe that. You know, and it didn't sound like from anything I read, tell me if you know anything different. It didn't seem like that was an abusive situation. It was just very much like a, like it's a Latin family. We're all in this together. Like we all need to do our part. You guys have talent. Let's use it. Yeah, I don't think it was quite you know, the Jackson 5 situation. No, exactly. That's or, I, the, or the Beach Boys or something yeah, like that. But I, yeah. I do think while, if, but if you think, so, you know, Selena was born in the 70s, so that puts, you know, her parents somewhere between the 50s and the 40s, yeah. right? So it is a different mentality than I think probably some of us, you know, there was no gentle parenting, right? Yeah. That, that was not heard of. And so I do think that while there was no true abuse or anything like that, Abraham was very hard on his children and expected a lot. I had a much older father and he expected a lot from us. And and both of my parents, they're very hardworking individuals and lots of love, but also lots of tough loves. I I think all of that is true. Absolutely loved his kids. I don't think there's in in anything that I've seen. He's still very close with his children. Yes. Um, But it's a fierce love. It is a love for his children. And those are his people. Um, And we'll probably talk about later some of of the things that I don't always agree with Abraham on. But loving his children is – but he wanted them to be successful. Almost if you imagine like a 
a kid who's really good at like a sport and like one of those coaches who are like tough like you need to get up at 6 a.m and you need to be practicing that's right because if you want to make it big and you have the potential to do it it's probably bordering that line on pushing them too much and then like letting them be a kid i don't know that they were true kids i think without a shadow of doubt he loved them I'm sure some of that is even just the pressure of there might have been more room for them to be normal kids if they weren't in such a dire situation. Like, it sounds like it was a bit more fun when they had the restaurant and they thought that was going to be successful. But then you get to a point where it's just like, this really is a family affair. And you see that with any of these acts that are that big. It takes a village to run that. They are each big act. You look at a Kelly Clarkson, a Taylor Swift, an Ariana Grande a maroon five, like it takes busloads of people, many of whom are family members or friends that work for you to keep this machine yep. running. Absolutely. You know? This did become a bit of a sticking point at times in the community. So like you said, I think that there was a little bit of like prioritizing the music part of it and the career part of it more so than other people would have liked. So specifically, several of Selena's teachers called this out and were just like, you're your daughter's a child. She needs mm-hmm. to be in school. And the the thing was, Selena was a, a very bright student. Like, that was not the concern at all. It was just like, that's clearly not where her focus is. And we can tell, by the way, Mr. Quintanilla, it's because your focus isn't on this either. So that would happen with several of her teachers, taking it to the school administration, like threatening at one point to be all like, do we need to get social services involved? Eventually, Selena would just put that to rest by getting her diploma from the American School of Correspondence in Chicago, and she ended up graduating before she turned 18. And she would eventually, by the way, attend college at Pacific Western University. I don't, I couldn't find anywhere if she finished her bachelor's, but she was pursuing a bachelor's in basically music business or business administration. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, a lot of young actors, actresses, musicians, they end up doing homeschool, even things like that. It's the same you end up having some of the same conversations, but it, you know, you're know you trying to balance the fact that this person is very successful right now doing something else. Yeah. Also having an education. And you know the teachers were, were right in their instincts. They should call it to guard. That's what they're supposed to do. So just what a different world. Like I remember, I've always got to go back to my girl, Brittany. <laughs> but like I was, but I was watching a recent interview with Christina Aguilera too that was talking about like when you were successful as young as they were, Justin Timberlake, a JC, a Carrie Russell, any of those in like that Mickey Mouse era, all of them were private tutored. Yeah. But, like, a point that, like, I've seen Brittany and Christina and Justin make in interviews is, like, exactly. We were private tutor. We got at least as good an education as you did, if not better. Like, we're getting, like, Brittany was saying in hers that, like, her adjunct was actually a college professor that was helping her oh, graduate high school. I have know? no doubt that Disney did not scrimp oh, you, you on know. their education. <laughs> now, right. But then if you think, though, with Selena's situation, they probably couldn't afford a That's private right. tutor. They were probably doing some homeschooling and things like that. It just was interesting to see that that dynamic came in. All of this while recording and trying to start to put out the band's first self-titled long play record. So it was called Selena y los Dinos, and it was released in 1984, at first on a small independent record label. But the record was a hit, or it became one over time, is, is probably better to say. The demand for Selena began to grow considerably, as her influence in Tejano music grew. Do you know what Tejano music is? 
I had to learn for no, part of this. No, yeah, I, just... I don't. I don't know that I know the clear definition of it. So I, I kind of had an idea, and I was right. So it's like Tex-Mex music, okay. basically. So it's it's Mexican and Texan kind of like country music, like fused together to make one beautiful amalgamation, and it really became. Of, of course, big in Texas, but anywhere that was kind of close to the border around that time. And I loved the point that you were making earlier about, like, Selena trying to to bridge and really just be herself. That was kind of the point of Tejano music was just, like, we are both of these things. Like, I am American. I am Latina. I can be both of these things. And so a big part of the music was trying to capture the joy of both of those things. By 1987, she had been named the Female Vocalist of the Year at the Tejano Music Awards, an award, Carla, that she would go on to win nine additional consecutive times in a row. So she won it for 10 years in a row. Wow. Starting in you 1987. I, I do think I remember that, that she was winning this award over and over again. Yes. So it, it, she has a Grammy to her claim, and we'll get into some of the other famous things, but like her awards thing, like she started really being appreciated for her musicianship um, at the Tejano Music Awards, and that would be a legacy that she carried deep into her career. This notoriety also earned her her first major record label deal, signing with EMI Latin Records. I didn't know this when I was researching, so she was actually offered, but at the same time, she received an offer from Capitol Records for two times as much money. But there was something about negotiations with EMI that just went better, something about connecting with them better on a personality level, and they ended up going with EMI um, Latin Records, which... It obviously still was very successful, but it just makes you wonder, like, what would have been different if she had gone with Capitol Records, since that's just such a big juggernaut in the United States. Mm. The rest, as they say, really is history. Over the course of her music career, Selena would sell more than 18 million albums worldwide, with more than 12 million of those sales taking place right here in the United States. Her best-selling album, which was also her posthumous album, unfortunately, Dreaming of You was released in 1995, and it sold Carla more than 175,000 copies on its first day. At the time, it was a record for any female recording artist, and it went on to sell more than a third of a million copies in its first week, ranking as the second best debut for a female recording artist ever at that time. Dreaming of she You was is, 23 years old. Dreaming of You is still on my playlist. I just love that song. And to this day, it remains one of the best-selling Latin albums of all time, having sold more than 5 million copies worldwide. And I know we talked about, like, a Gloria Estefan. And she was around at that time. Because yes. My mom was a huge Gloria Estefan fan. And Sales she, weren't as big at that point at, yeah, you know, no, anymore. Yeah, no, not at all. And, of course, Shakira didn't come till much later. And Shakira has done some really good albums and songs. But I, I think even more so at the single. I'd be curious to see some of her numbers, too. But... It's so interesting. Like, her and Gloria Estefan were competing, really, at that time. So something else I learned, I kind of knew this anecdotally, but knew it a lot more here. Like, we get very used to our system of, like, sales and certification here in the United States. Like, in the United States, a gold record has to move 500,000 copies. A platinum record has to sell, move a million. Diamond has to sell 10 million. That's different over in Latin countries, so they basically do the RIA certification based off of the total potential sales in your country. If you have a country that is one-tenth the size of the United States, your platinum is probably only going to be 100,000 albums as opposed to a million albums, if that makes sense. My whole point in saying that, too, was the Dreaming of You went, like, 69 times platinum for Latin records. 
<laughs> because That's... it's such a different thing. It went like three times platinum here, but because of the way they calculated there. Selena did have some haters, including one, Yolanda Saldivar, who resented the fact that this young pop act was beating out some of her favorite Tejano artists for big awards. Originally a fan of country music, Yolanda took a liking to Tejano music artist Shelley Lares. Lares was one of the many fellow musicians that Selena would repeatedly beat out for major industry awards. For me, that's for us more modernly. You think of like when a Christina Aguilera started winning awards instead of a Celine Dion, right? Like the next up and comer has started coming and or for me <laughs> when new kids on the block was the hottest thing and vanilla ice came in with this like one hit wonder that's right but all of that began to change in 1991 yolanda attended a selena concert with her niece and it forever changed her perception of her she became an overnight fan so much so that after having searched the local newsstands and some other places for some memorabilia the next day she wanted something to kind of commemorate this experience this is... that she had just had the previous day, right? She couldn't really find anything and took it upon herself at that point to make sure that didn't happen again. She wanted to create a fan club so that people could readily share memorabilia and kind of encapsulate and capture their memories in the same way that she wanted to, but wasn't able to after that night. Which all the way already from the beginning, like when I read some of this and this was like, capitulated in multiple tellings of this like i'm just like hold on how do you go from hating chickadee to wanting to be her number one fan overnight like there's a certain level of like i don't know i'm picking up on something so and i'll just throw out like fan clubs back in the 80s and in the 90s you had to write in that you wanted to be a member and send some money and they would send you back normally like a letter or like a magazine or something like that but you ha it was something that like you wrote into and probably the only person that I could come as close to. I was obsessed with Drew Barrymore as a teenager. I just loved her. I never went as far as to join her fan club because to me, I was the fan club. I don't know that I joined any fan clubs. I always thought about like, oh, you can send in. Also, I just never had like, and it was always like $6 or something like that. It wasn't never yeah, very yeah. much money or I don't know, maybe at one point in the 90s, it was $20 or something like that to join these fan clubs. Well, now, if you register as a verified fan like Taylor Swift, you'll get these codes to join a pre-sale or something like that. Yeah, or you'll get like further in the line to get VIP tickets yeah, or something. This yeah. was a lot more pin palish back in the 90s and in the 80s. I even remember for that era of the Britney, Christina, in sync, all of that shenanigans, 98 Degrees. My sister was really into 98 Degrees. But some of those still existed. You could sign up for something and then like twice a year you'd get like a an exclusive poster or something like that. And you would it'd be like a physical paraphernalia yeah. that you would get. And I mean, I had them all over my walls, up on my ceiling, all oh, of that. I'm sure you kinda, did. I did. Of Britney. <laughs> <laughs> See how well that went. <laughs> I should have done the 98 degrees. I would have enjoyed it more. It's fine. It's fine. We'll delete that later. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> So she would become a super fan, and she would start up this whole fan club, and bigger than that, 
Saldivar became the founding and acting president of the Selena fan club, which officially became like a thing in June of 1990. Part of her role in this as president was to collect, as you were mentioning, those membership dues. So like you were just saying, like there was no, I couldn't send it via Apple Pay, I couldn't send it via PayPal or Venmo. You had to send in a physical check or cash to something. Mm -hmm. And then in exchange for that, you would get like, you know, often a physical letter or some sort of picture or some sort of fan paraphernalia to kind of confirm like you're in this club now and then you would get newsletters or whatever else the case may be. Selena was apparently pretty popular. Her membership due was $22 at the time. Fans would receive some novelty items, official merchandise, and they were working directly with Selena, by the way, to do this because they were still a small enough act that that was something else that kind of came forward about Yolanda's it wasn't just Selena that eventually she would become close to. It was also the family. Like, the family really ended up trusting her. And some of that was because of this. She would run that uh, website and really seemed to have a care about what Selena was doing. And it was more than just fangirling. To them, it felt like an actual appreciation for the music. And it felt that way to Selena as well. They actually began to forge a pretty deep friendship. Some of the reason some of the reason that Selena's family felt this way towards Yolanda is because of what she had done before. She had actually had a pretty lucrative career as an in-home nurse that when she discovered Selena, and again, she's got this kind of deep-rooted love for Tejano music that she's discovered about herself, she ended up leaving her job once the fan club became successful enough for her to do so. She was still making less at the fan club than she would have at her nursing job but to the family that only bolstered their trust in her like right surely someone that is willing to leave their career to support our daughter and what she's trying to create here has got to be a good person well like you said it takes a village they really were they were kind of a family unit everybody pulled together that completely aligns so that started up officially in june of 1991 they really started swinging things by december of 1991 so from december of 1991 to early 1994 so really just talking about a two-year span and some change there the fan club had swelled to over eight thousand members wow and for those of you that are fans of the quick math like i am that is more than $175,000 in just membership dues. That's not including any additional ticket sales, merchandise, wow. nothing. Pure just membership dues was $175,000, which we know I like my conversions too. That's more than $360,000 in today's currency. She was given access to a lot of money. And with that came trust and access to more money. At one point, Yolanda Salvidar had been given access to an American Express card authorized by Selena and her family to go do official business on behalf of Selena. We're talking a deep assumption of good intentions Mm -hmm. here. And to a certain extent, they were right to do so. Yolanda was, in their minds, very much on the ground level of helping their daughter become the realization of the star that they already knew her to. Music wasn't Selena's only passion, though. She'd become famous very much for her presence her style this kind of this is who i am i think that again is what a lot of especially latina girls they saw something in her of like this hope of just you work hard enough and you can become something big after all she had come from nothing her family had literally been homeless 
and now she's one of the world's biggest stars. People are just throwing money left at her. Her fashion was huge. It was huge. And she was doing a lot of like her own designing and stuff like that too. She was very talented. I mean, just real talent. And they really didn't have a lot of money. Selena was doing a lot of that stuff herself and designing her own outfits. It really is. I was trying to find his name real quick, but she, there were even interviews with the people that worked with her but there were a couple of them that talked about it like she really did design them she would still work with these people who actually knew how to take her concepts and turn them into here's how you yeah turn them into a piece of art that you can wear sort of thing but they were very clear in crediting her they're like no she was deeply involved in this she really did have a sense of the style and fashion that she wanted to put out there and it wasn't just clothes it was merchandise also this led to her you mentioned this at the very beginning she was a bit of a businesswoman. She decided she wanted to open up a couple of stores and started with two of them in 1994. So we're getting to the end of Selena's career as we know it. But in her mind, some of this is really just starting. She opened two boutique stores, one in Corpus Christi and one in San Antonio, Texas. And it featured clothing and all sorts of other merchandise that was of her own design and an in-house beauty salon for what it's worth Celine and Jan Yolanda forged what appeared to be a healthy friendship to people on the outside they were good business partners Selena credited her with being what she thought was the key to them expanding to a third boutique shop and beyond she felt that Yolanda really had a way of connecting with what fans were going to like Mm -hmm. and I can imagine I didn't find this anywhere but I'm sitting there like trying to look at it from Selena's point of view and it makes sense. Here's this person that wasn't your fan. Right. And then they became it. Like, who who is going to know better how to convert more people into loving this? Or who better can tell that story of what it means to be brought in by this woman that, that you're kind of idolizing? I almost think that she started to think of her almost like a, not quite like a personal assistant, but I do think like almost like a business partner. Some of it reminded me as they moved into these boutiques, like, really starting to take that role. Like I could have imagined had this been a healthy relationship, that could have been something that she would almost have been, not her manager because that was definitely her dad. Yeah. But And a lot of her other family. Yeah, her brother but was definitely like a too. personal assistant or something like that. I could have seen her becoming Selena's personal assistant. I do wonder, so I, I took a note here about some of it even like in hindsight, and we of course have the benefit of, of right. that hindsight. But it almost looked a little dysfunctional. Of course, Yolanda, because she's this uber fan, is sending Selena all of these like crazy notes and everything. But Selena sends some of them back. And like part of why Yolanda became so enamored with her, at least if I'm understanding it correctly, was she wasn't used to that. She had this real connection to this person that had access to a lot of the world, that had access to fame and celebrity and money and all this stuff, much of which, like Yolanda wasn't poor, but she didn't have access to all of that. It read to me from the multiple things that I read as almost, what's the word when you're like, you're almost too dependent on each oh, other? Codependent. codependent. Yeah. Yes. Does that make sense? Did yeah. you get that read as well? So here's what I was going to say about that, because I have thoughts. Uh, here, Ready for my unsolicited feedback. Okay. So... If you think about it, Selena was raised around her entire family, right? And and that was her safe space. Like, the people that she was raised around, 
And because from a young age, she was on tour, she was doing different things, she was going to different places, she wasn't even in a normal school. So I don't think that Selena had, quote unquote, like regular friends. She had her family. And without a doubt, that was a very unconditional family. And so I think that here comes this person who wants to help bolster her. And I think she kind of really like takes them into the family and for selena it's really this very naive approach to it that like this person couldn't do me any harm because here are all of these other people who help me who are are part of my family who would never like i don't even think anything bad about the world because i have all of these people who are already sheltering me from any of from and they would never do anything like that so i think like she walks into this business friendship automatically thinking the best of this person because she hasn't had to deal with any ugliness of the business her dad has been dealing with it or her brother's been dealing with like so for her everybody around her is really for the most part with these pure intentions and selena's young and i think part of it too i don't think that she has a lot of friends outside of her family and this person is telling her probably everything she wants to hear like this is your yes person and you know what it's like with family. Like, while they're supporting you 100%, like, they're going to tell you the real real. Where, you know, this person who is trying to, is, I mean, kind of Ingratiate themselves. With you. Yeah. That's they're right. like, oh, you know, yes, you should do that. Oh, my gosh, that's the best idea ever. When maybe, like, her sister would be like, Selena, that's not your best idea. You know, like, maybe would give her the real real. So I, I do think it's probably some codependency. But I think on Selena's part... It's really that was being almost like naive. A branch into normalcy. Yeah, it's, right? it's being young. It's being naive, yeah. really, for that. And it's probably not really having friends outside of her family group. And feeling like this was like some sort of connection to the outside world that way. That makes sense to me. Whatever the case may be, some people were starting to already recognize red flags. So her brother, Abraham Jr., had himself kind of noted some things that he had tried to bring to Selena's attention and had tried to bring to their father as well. And for whatever it's worth, her father really did value Abraham's, um, Abraham Jr.'s business mind in this. Yeah. He had been involved in doing this with Selena, remember, from back in the time that they were a band at Papagayos, right? So it's like he's been in this music industry for a long time. And I listened to an interview with him where he talked about People having their opinions about family being part of your management team and being a producer and all of that. He was like, maybe you can say that for the first record when we're on some independent one. But when you get with these big, big record labels, I promise you that if they do not have confidence that you can produce their product, that you can help sell them records for one of their biggest selling acts, they're not going to let you anywhere near them. A hundred percent. They will find a way to block you and all of that, which I found to be interesting perspective. And interesting because he started having some bad juju towards Yolanda. He wasn't the only one, though. By early 1995, Selena's boutiques were starting to suffer. Not like crazy, but starting to suffer. Sales had receded a bit, and their once robust staff, which was a big part of what makes an experience like that work, at one point across the three stores had nearly 40. I think it was 38 employees. Mm. And... By the end of the time that Yolanda had been working with them, it was down to only 14 employees, and they were regularly having to try to backfill some of these places. Wow. And all of them saying that it was because of Yolanda. And and later, when they would go into this in hindsight, Salvador was apparently 
firing employees that she didn't care for. And the range of things that she didn't care for was was pretty big. You know, it was anything from like legitimate concerns about their work ethic to just they stared at me the wrong way. Yeah, she was starting to spiral. This is this is the the hindsight of the spiral. Well, and when we start to realize, too, I think that she was trying to keep away anyone that might have started seeing what was going on. Oh, yes. Because beyond some of the employee complaints, which did end up making their way to Abraham Sr. and Jr. and finally started bringing some of this to the head, some fans were starting to write in saying, hey, we've paid our membership dues, but we haven't received any merchandise. We, in fact, haven't even received confirmation that we're part of this thing. And to Selena and some others in her family, that started to be a a stretch too far. That started to be the last straw. You don't screw over our fans, the people that are making this all happen. We would have an account from one former employee. This was the fashion designer we were talking about earlier, Martin Gomez, who said that he had become so suspicious of some of Yolanda's habits, just the way that she was around the business, around money, that he would start recording conversations between him and her to try to catch her in an act of corruption. He would describe Yolanda's running of the company as a reign of terror, and he would be eventually placed in a lower support role. So basically, he tried to escalate this to Abraham Jr. and Sr. and basically was just told, like, hush. I think some of that was Selena's doing, though. was Uh, just like, you know, I'm close to Yolanda, this is my friend. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But the remaining employees decided to do something about it. And they find a way to uh, raise complaints once again to her brothers, but also directly to Selena. At this point, relations began to become strained between Selena and Yolanda. There was a lot of back and forth that started very, very friendly of, by the way, Abraham, both of them, and Selena all trying to do this very nice of just like, hey, we're missing a few records. Could you, you know, work on that? Because at this point, there was also like some tax indiscrepancies and Mm -hmm. some other things that were starting to pop up. Yeah. See, I think what people don't realize is that even if it's Yolanda who's not doing taxes right and things like that, at the end of the day, it's on Selena. Sure is. It's Selena who's going to go to jail. That's right. Well, or her family, her management company, whoever can't pay the bills. And if, like, if you can pay those bills, that money has to come from somewhere. So that means that somewhere, someone or multiple someones somewhere else don't get paid, right? Because you're now having to backfill this. And the big question is, where is that money going? Because supposedly we have a person in this role that we trust. Well, and I would say, too, while Selena was making really good money, like, this wasn't, I mean, if, if you look back and you see the house that she bought, like, this isn't the same where they're buying, you know, 15 acre 15,000 square foot house on in Malibu she's still making reasonable sized money even at the popularity that she is this is how you tank someone like you think about like MC Hammer or like some of the other artists who got involved with like bad taxes or had too many people that they were paying out this is one point at which to our earlier conversation I do feel like Selena's just being overtly blind here yeah. and it starts making 100%. you like we know Yolanda needs Selena but Selena almost needs Yolanda too mm-hmm. she needs that adoring fan that is still close enough to touch and that's willing to like do all of this stuff for her 
and it prevented her from being able to see some of the writing on the wall here. It got so bad at one point that basically that Abraham said no more and said that you can't have a part in doing our business. Selena would respect it, but only to a certain level. She would continue correspondence with Yolanda, some of which, by the way, was because they still hadn't received records and and funds for some of what was missing in the business at the time. So from Selena's point of view, I need to stay on good terms with this person so that we can get our money back. And, yep. and I think maybe I can imagine, too, still this just sense of like disbelief. Surely my friend would never do this to me. And once again, she was convinced that something about Yolanda's point of view was key to them continuing to expand, especially in the Latin market. That said, Selena was beginning to get the message that something fishy was going on in the Selena, etc. finances, and she wanted resolution. At one point, though, her brother would show her some pretty irrefutable proof. He would show her some business records uh, that he had decided to keep and was able to point out the indiscrepancies, was able to talk Selena through, here's the conversation that I tried to have Yolanda, here's the explanation that I received for it, Selena, it doesn't make sense. And finally, Selena had to cave. And I'm sure it was painful for her. She again had forged this, this good friendship with Yolanda and thought that she was in her corner. But at that point, she did decide to take her off of any of the bank accounts having to do with Selena's brand, including Selena, etc., and she was replaced as president of the fan club immediately uh, so that she could no longer have access to fans' money, which, again, at this point, they now believe she had been embezzling from these businesses. For what it's worth, too, this was really messed up. Like, Selena was big into the community. So, mm-hmm. like, all, like, both boutique stores and the third one that was coming online, they were working with local places, working with charities and all of that. So it's like, you're not just stealing from the fans, like, you're stealing from charity. <laughs> it's really fucked up. And I think probably, too, like, things started to get really desperate. You can you can feel, like, that she's circling the drain. It, I just, like, I can only imagine there's a part of me that doesn't understand Selena's next action, but there's another part of me that just like out of, out of sheer, sheer curiosity, if I had been in her position, I might've done the same thing. Like ultimately if I'm refusing to believe, like if it was you in this case, you would never do this to me, of course, if I became famous, but if, on whether or not you leave me that life insurance. You so, so, of course you're on there. <laughs> wink, wink. I have a document for you to you're sign so, later. You're so dumb. But like at the end of the day, even if I got pretty irrefutable proof that you'd done something skeezy, there's a part of me that because of our past rapport would would want to hear you out. Even if I know that the outcome isn't going to change, maybe the context would help me feel differently about it. Especially you know? think about Michael in his 20s. That's it. Right? Where Naive. closure meant so much more. Closure meant having those conversations. Like closure in our 30s and I guess into our 40s means that like, I don't need to have that conversation with you. The closure is in my head. I'm at peace with whatever decision I've made and I have enough confidence. But I can easily see it's hard to cut. It's the friendship piece, right? The business relationship, like those things you can always cut when you're talking about like friend. And then again, thinking that like Yolanda was really this friend that she had that wasn't her family. That's right. So I I can easily see her having conflicted feelings about it 
even after all of this craziness with the family, it it seems like at least some loose connection was there, that they at least had each other's number in, you know, maybe both the figurative and literal sense of it. What we know is that Yolanda leaves the picture briefly, and that a while later, several days later, Selena gets a call from Yolanda, that the gist of which is, I've been in Mexico, I've been out of the country, and while I was out, I was raped. I need someone to take me to the clinic. Will you take me? What's Selena supposed to do at that point? She, of course, says, yes, I will take you to the clinic. What we know from records is that Selena did, in fact, take Yolanda to a clinic, that Saldivar did, in fact, have a checkup of some kind done. What we know with the benefit of the hindsight is that a rape kit was never taken at that point, which is mm. an interesting thing for someone that specifically asked your friend to take you to the clinic because you had been raped. We don't know that at the time, and Selena had no way of knowing that while Yolanda was in there that she wasn't having that very thing done. And their conversation on the way back is what starts to lead to a pretty pivotal moment in their friendship and in the ending of Selena's life. Now in this very defaced, like you've got your armor completely down, you've just gone through, you think you've just gone through this horrific thing with your friend. If I'm to interpret what happened, it was, you know, she came to her one more time to be all like, no, really? Like what, what What happened? happened here? Just come clean. Like, just do it. This conversation eventually took them up to uh, a hotel room and the conversation would become pretty heated at one point. There were multiple patrons at that hotel that said that they could overhear the shouting that was happening. So things really, really started to escalate. And what had started as some meek asking after some of these funds and what had happened escalated into something pretty nasty. So nasty, in fact, that at one point after the shouting was done, Selena had apparently had enough and was turning to go. But at that very point, Yolanda would pull a gun out of her purse on Selena. Selena didn't know what was going on at first, kind of dismissed it, went to turn away. And when she turned away, she would fire at Selena. Yolanda would fire at Selena a single time with the bullet entering her back near the bottom of her right shoulder blade and severing a vital artery in Selena's chest cavity before exiting out of the front of her body. Bleeding out rapidly, Selena would manage to make it to the hotel lobby, leaving behind her an almost 400-foot-long trail of blood. Mm. It's longer than a football field. Before taking her final breaths, she managed to name Salvidar as her killer and was able to list the room in which she had been shot. But eventually, Selena would succumb to her injuries and would be pronounced dead on March 31st of 1995. Her wake and her funeral would be attended by thousands of fans. They said for her public viewing, somewhere between thirty to 40,000 fans passed by her casket to pay tribute, and that nearly 80,000 fans signed kind of her book of remembrance, letting people know that she was there. This, you mentioned, had ripples for a long time. A lot of people felt like they knew this woman. It would be you know, again, maybe akin to us losing a Taylor Swift or in the Latin world these days, Olivia Rodrigo, something like that, some really, really big star. 
it feels really personal when, especially for kids and family. And we had talked about maybe some of the choices that Abraham had made that that we didn't agree with earlier. I know one of them was around wanting to make sure that Selena kept a very family friendly image. You know, they yeah. were very careful about you know, how sultry Selena would become. And she was just this beautiful woman. So she was kind of a sex symbol no matter what they did. But they did their best very much to tamp it down to try to to make sure that she stayed kind of in this pocket of something that was considered wholesome as part of her image. Well, and that's what you have when your dad is managing you. That's too. right. Like n- most good dads yeah. don't want you to be – a sex symbol. But it's like, also that's why you're, the truth of it. Why this many families are connecting with her, right? You know, like I, I love me some Britney, but I think that like her passing when it eventually happens is going to be viewed very differently than like um, you know, a Whitney Houston's or right. a more modern, like a Kelly Clarkson or something like that. Like one is going to be considered like, oh, we just lost an all-time like great singer. And another one might feel a little bit less because it's more of a pop star you know yeah but it's selena connected with them on a different level like that and some of that was she was a better musician she was a great singer but you know same thing like some of these more modern pop stars she didn't write most of her own songs she co-wrote very few of her songs she was very much an industry machine out there i think the fact that she connected with so many people has a lot to do with that image and that kind of stage presence this this version of herself that she brought to the world you know she was so – I mean, she was vivacious and young, and she really was. I mean, you know, this family portrayal that she had, I mean, she was a good girl, like, quote, unquote, good girl. She wasn't running around Hollywood, and she wasn't sniffing coke. There was no impropriety. There was no tabloids catching Selena. She did have a very clean thing, and I think part of that was her dad's hold on maybe sometimes it was probably too much of a hold but that was part of that that family dynamic i think the hard part for me is that like he put all this time and effort into doing all of that yeah and here was this person that they let into their circle who would eventually kill her how shitty too to be like you're luring here back in by claiming rape like this really deeply it feels so insidious and nefarious like it's the i mean that's mean intentions what is what is something so shocking and so personal that i can lie about to guarantee that she will talk to me again well and i think that's the true manipulation and i don't know if if it was ever talked about but i thought i heard and i i could be completely storytelling i thought there was something about her luring her into the actual hotel room was like in exchange like she was like okay come in here and i'll give you this stuff it was yeah she supposedly had some of the forms or the lost money or something to that effect that's exactly what happened it it's honestly like just it's true manipulation like that is who she was at that moment and down to the end she was just this unrelenting force she left the motel this is yolanda left the motel and got in her truck And, like, basically a hotel employee had seen her leave, and she's wrapped in a towel, knows something's going on. They, of course, find Selena's body. The police is very much understanding what's going on here, but she's still got a gun in the truck. And she then holds the police at a a nine-and-a-half-hour standoff as they try to convince her not to commit suicide. She doesn't know that they know what's going on now. The, 
I was listening to something um, where the, like the lead investigator was like one of those, not lead investigator, but one of the crisis management people on the scene was literally the guy that was on the phone with her for nine and a half hours and just like consummate professional trying to save another life, even though she had just taken a life in a horrendous way. I think it also ended up being something that would, she would later claim Yolanda when this would go to trial that she wasn't even trying to kill Selena, that she was going to kill herself, that some of this was born of guilt. She knew what she had done is wrong. She was in a desperate situation, all of this, yada, yada, yada. But we don't know that that's true. In fact, Selena's brother, none of this has been completely confirmed, but he claimed that he believes that Yolanda tried to kill Selena a total of four times and that some of them had just been missed opportunities. One, for instance, was supposed to be before an event, but there were a ton of fans that had shown up to it on the outside, so there was no way for her to be able to like do what she needed to do without you know being seen. It was too public of a thing. The benefit of hindsight for all of this. You should have just put Abraham on the phone. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he would have Save taxpayers all this money. Saldivar did eventually surrender after nine and a half hours. By that time, hundreds of fans had gathered at the scene. And many were weeping as they took Yolanda away, right? This is the person that just murdered our idol. Saldivar's family also signed autographs. While Abraham Quintanilla Jr. remained in their seats waiting for the verdict, her family had to watch Yolanda's family sign autographs for people that were on Yolanda's side. Who (laughs) in the hell would have been on her side? On October 23rd, final arguments would be made in the case. Yolanda would eventually be convicted of this crime Basically, her whole suicide argument and potentially wanting to do that, it just crumbled around her that if you had really wanted to commit suicide, if that's what it was about, you had plenty of opportunity to do that beforehand. It's clear that at least part of your intention here was to defraud this organization and was at least to harm her, if not kill her entirely. And she shot her in the back. Her crime was punishable by either a life sentence with parole eligibility in 30 years or a term of up to 99 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. The jury did choose the former one, and actually, she is up for parole in 2025. So we could be hearing some interesting news about this just in the next year and a half or so to see what happens here, but she's been in been in prison for nearly 30 years now so i didn't realize it was just parole i actually thought she was getting out so parole is parole eligibility yeah i will tell you that as long as there is breath in selena's family Mm -hmm. they will be at every now whether or not that will make a difference but they will be at every parole hearing you can tell in in every interview and because of that netflix documentary like they just did um you know some renewed interviews and and spoke out around selena and stuff like that that loss to them is still as big as it was because it's the ripple effect, right? It's not just losing Selena. It's losing the family that she could have, the life that she could have had. Like, it's them losing their future grandchildren. It's the fact that, like, her nieces and nephews lost her, you know. Then there's new nieces and nephew who never even got to meet her, you know. So there's – there's it's more than just that moment that 
those immediate people around her. It's the the future. And you can tell and I'm I'm sure if as a parent, I think that's the hard part. I think that's the part that broke my heart when I watched that series again is like not only was I thinking about like this person who lost her life, but I think about like as a parent what it would do to put your whole life of work. I mean, if you think for Abraham and his wife too, like she was very, I think she was an informal active participant in this life that they were building, but her family, you have literally spent the last 20 years building this child for her career so that she can go and be successful. And someone just in an instant, it's gone. Yep. I don't even know. Even thinking about it, like, honestly, it makes me want to tear up again because it's just such emotion and when they talk about their family i always think that's how i love my family it's like how abraham and her siblings loved her that loss is still just as raw so good luck to yolanda because as long as there is breath in those people's bodies they will be at every parole hearing it's already had to be just such a hard time in that child's life and you've got your oldest is not so far from what selena was when she passed away and it's already just such a giant transitional time. Like you're getting out of school, you're becoming an adult, you're getting into these deep relationships. We didn't talk about it much on this episode because it wasn't, you know, we didn't have time yeah. to talk about all things Selena. But like her father wasn't a big fan of of her husband, Chris right. Perez, because she had met her met him as part of like her time in the business and didn't trust. And it's like as as the father, I put myself in Abraham's shoes a little bit. I'm already my my daughter is becoming a woman my little girl that started as this nine-year-old singing on stage in my restaurant now has the whole world at her fingertips she's gotten married to this dude that i don't fucking like (laughs) you know and i don't trust him and you know now my daughter has been taken from me by someone that i myself had put my trust in to your point about like the loss i would say this all the time at, at work back in the day like trust is transactional yeah it's it can be won and lost on any given day it's really hard when you lose it and you have to work 10 times as hard to regain it once it's been lost it's so so easy to lose the amount of faith in the world that this whole family had to have lost on that day I just can't imagine like and like I said like his their grip hold on things about Selena and and her family will say too like Selena was her own person like while her dad had a lot of influence while her family had a lot of influence at the end of the day Selena made her own decisions it's why she got married to the man that she got married to she's like right and I think they like ran off and got married sure did came back and it you know because she was at the end of the day this is who I love and this is who I'm going to be with but that comes back to like that family security she knew that even if she would piss them off by running off and going getting married that they would still love her that they would be angry that there would be some harsh words but we would all get over it and that there would be plenty of time to get over it yeah I think that even the stuff with Yolanda Selena just had a heart that was just too big we have a friend as you were talking about like if someone called me up who had been deceitful and called me with that circumstance, would I show up? Absolutely not. That I'm not that person. Well, we do have a friend that would. But we have a friend <laughs> that 100%. Yeah, 100% like is that big bleeding heart and who yeah. would absolutely show up, especially with something like that, absolutely show up and end up in that situation. And uh, we, w- we would be like Abraham and the siblings and we would – be at every parole hearing for the rest of our lives. 
it's such a heartbreaking story. And then even that her CD came out, that last one came out after she had actually passed. And I was thinking about it, but just remember being so devastated as a young girl. Because at that point, I'm only like 13 years old. And just to like put it in perspective, though, it was posthumous album. I know Michael Jackson, his one that he released right after he died, like did huge sales too. But her one before that, Amor Pohibido, so Forbidden Love, yes, had done really well. It had sold nearly a million and a half copies in the United States. So she was on her way. Each of It was so different than what you normally see with these. Each of her albums was growing in sales. Like it was getting progressively bigger. Her Selena self-titled one was pretty low-balling. Then Conmigo sold a half million copies in the United States. Then it was two-thirds of a million, then it was a million and a half. So the fact that Dreaming of You went on to sell more than three million copies in the United States maybe shouldn't surprise any of us. Like, she was on her way, but that's part of the sadness, too. What would she have become if we had gotten to see her fully come into her own, you know? Oh, Selena. I'm glad that we got to do this story. You you suggested this one, and I love it. This actually scratches my Britney itch, which hopefully we will get to scratch later this year after her book comes out did you see she released a date yes october 24th this really fits our genre and i i love selena so anytime like we can share and talk about selena and just like the netflix show i'm heartbroken and devastated and i'm gonna go home and play selena the entire way home did you in the memory of her oh yeah yeah absolutely good right yeah when she talks about like um i just watched like a vogue thing that the 73 questions or whatever they do with her and she was like that's still the most influential film that i've ever done like getting to walk in her shoes was really powerful for her and i can only imagine but i've always been drawn and probably because my mom was a huge gloria Estefan, and yeah i've done my dna and there is no there is no latin in there and but i really <laughs> resonate with that culture and that music michael great thank you i mean honestly it was a really good retelling of that story so much more to go into. I wish into. you could have changed the ending. Please, I know, right? So go check out some other things on this. This certainly isn't the whole story. Tell us what you think. If you have any favorite Selena songs, we want to hear about them. If you have any other cases like this that are kind of pop culture-y, we'd love to, to get to tell them on air and we'll, of course, give you a shout out. But until next time, bitches. Bye. bye. <laughs> made it to the end of the podcast thanks so much for hanging out with us and i know that we've given a lot of our unsolicited feedback but at the end of the day it's also important that we remember to stay kind stay curious but of course stay nosy bitches bitches.